Welcome to the Hard Water Fishing Show. Jeff and Jason talk tactics, gear, and ice fishing legends. All right, welcome back to the Hardwater Fishing Show. We are in Season 6, holy cow, Episode 6. And tonight's episode is Buffet. It's a buffet, a buffet of ice fishing, Jeff, because we couldn't come up with any one particular topic, so we're covering all the topics tonight. All the topics, yes. Well, we're going to hit on a lot of them. I mean, we're going to, like, just, it's going to be a machine gun spray of ice fishing stuff. (laughs) Well, I think part of that is that it's starting. I mean, we're on six episodes here yeah. for the season, but but I mean, it's, people it's are starting to ice fish. Super excited about it, and um, a little bit jealous of people that are already starting to get out. I agree, and and yeah, so we're we're gonna get there. So pretty excited. Did I mention I'm excited? Yeah, you are excited, Jay. I'm excited. I went to a nice <laughs> show yesterday. It was awesome. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about it. And I, I went shopping, and so I'll share some of that later. Yeah, that's awesome, too. I had an incident. I had an incident. You had a we'll shopping talk about incident. That. <laughs> I did. But first, man, I, I, I think uh, we'll start with you. What are you drinking tonight, buddy? Texas beer tour, You're right? still on your Texas beer tour. Yeah. But I got to the bottom of my, like, I'll call them crafty beers, because what I'm drinking tonight is a little more mainstream. It is Shiner Bach. Have you ever heard of Shiner I Bach? I think I even, I've, I've drank those. I've had drank those on this show. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So it's I don't fun. know what episode or what season, but I know I've had it. I think I have. M- maybe. I don't know. Mm. I know I had one at a restaurant a couple months ago. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's I like made it on tab. in it's made in Shiner, Texas. Oh see, I didn't even know that. Yes. Every drop of Shiner is brewed in Shiner. Well, that makes sense. In Shiner, Texas, population two thousand sixty nine. By local craftsmen who take pride in our little brewery and our classic Shiner Bach. This American-style Shiner Bach has a clean flavor and a slightly sweet finish. We hope you enjoy drinking it as much as we enjoy making it. There you go. I don't think... Oh, I'll let you open it before I start talking. Yum. Did you open it? I didn't even hear yeah, it. It opened. Was I ta- was I busy talking? You might have been talking. Damn it! Sorry. That's okay. All right. Anyway, I don't. I stand correct. I don't think I have drank it on this show. Okay. But I have had it. I have had it, but I don't remember. It's a good beer, though. It must be good because they put their address on the bottle, so like people like so complain. Is so it's Shiner Texas. Shiner Texas. So is Bach a type of beer? Yes. So there are other Bachs out there. Yes, there are other Bachs. I've had toasted. What are Bach. the other? Toasted is that made in Toasted Ohio? No, it's not. It's it's a different kind of beer, but it's really good. I think it's a Lining Kugel's Toasted Bach. It's a Lining Kugel. So what what is a Bach specifically? It's a beer. I don't know. What makes a Bach a Bach? Um, Come on, Jeff. You're supposed to have all this information. I am not. Isn't it on the can? It's not. And this is an ice fishing show. Oh, hold all on, right. hold on. It might be, but I don't know if I can read it. It's so small. Oh my god. Okay. Gosh. Well, you you read that and I'll I'll I want to open my beer. So you you think if you can figure that out. I am on the tour of my fridge. 
not the tour of Texas, and I did not have time to get to the store today to buy a, a beer, and I don't plan ahead. So what I had was I'm still I've still got my good old standby natural light, and based on the fact that I've been doing a lot of traveling, I, I need the light beer right now. <laughs> so because I've been have you know one should not have more than one buffet a week, and I've already exceeded that threshold. So natural light. Enjoying my three carbs. Lovely. Excellent. Well, Did I, you figure out what a Bach was? Why I, I, was I still don't know. Beer? I looked at it said Bach beer on it, and I read it, and it just says we'd brew it, so it, it didn't help. All me. right. All right. Well, more to come maybe on that. Maybe. Somebody knows. Let us know. Maybe Shiner Bach could call us and tell us. I think they're listening to the podcast? Probably. Uh, there's a lot of ice fishing going on in Texas. <laughs> there is sometimes. <laughs> I mean, they have, they've had some cold snaps down. Yeah, there. I don't think there's any actual ice right, fishing there. Right. So moving forward, patrons, thank you so much for your support. Um, Nick A is our spotlight today, huh? Yeah, he's at, he's the, at legend the legend level. level. Yeah, he's, he's been that's with us awesome. for a while. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Nick. We really appreciate your support. I give you a virtual hug or high five or fist bump, right? Whatever, you're, whatever you prefer. All right, show business, Thanksgiving. I, I just wanted to say thanks. To, oh, thanks. Thanks. Yes. I just want to say thanks. It's Thanksgiving coming up. And it I is just thanks. want to say thanks. That's all. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for everything you guys do to make Ice Fishing awesome. Mm-hmm. We have our Amazon affiliate link. It's on there. Uh, gear. That's like our sweatshirts and t-shirts and that kind of stuff. Hardwatershow.com backslash merch. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, best place to interact with us on social media. Our website, hardwatershow.com. We have a YouTube page. You can email us at hardwatershow at gmail.com. And we have this link tree thing, HWFS. And Jeff has not been overly active on our, uh, what is it called? TikTok? TikTok account. I, maybe but I'll make another one this week. I just. He's I, thinking about it. Yeah. I did some editing, but, you know, it takes time to edit. It does. It does. I don't know how people find the time for all that stuff. <laughs> we did have a fact check. Yes. Jeff, we had a fact check. So do you want to read that? David A. sent us from Facebook. This was really about, we talked about the three line or the three hook in Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. I would really encourage you to really understand the regs yourself and read them. Even though we have a fact check here, uh, I am not super up to date with the Wisconsin fishing regulations. So, but David yeah. Ayers and he said, Wisconsin regulations are three hooks, baits, or lures. A lure can have more than two hooks. A quick sir- strike rig are both considered one lure and one bait. A tandem rig for flies is two. Same with a slider rig. And I don't even know what a slider rig is. Do you know what that is? I do not. So, it sounds- I have some guesses. I bet part of it slides. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> it sounds very complex to me. So, <laughs> I'm going to encourage you to crack open that Wisconsin regs book and really understand what's going on. And- yeah, I I think this all comes back to the yeah, and we've had this discussion before, Jeff. I don't know if we've had it on the show. We've had it privately that fishing regulations and even hunting regulations, outdoor regulations, have gotten incredibly specific and complicated at times. So when in doubt, read the regs, talk to a DNR natural resources officer to clarify if you have any questions, um, just because we don't want, don't want anyone to run afoul of the rules. And certainly 
double check any information we give you regarding regulations on this show because you know it's just our interpretation or what we recall or what somebody told us and so we certainly don't want anybody to get in trouble yeah that's no fun and, and it is more complicated i don't know if we have talked about that but you know, a lot more complicated than when I was a kid when you just kind of went fishing. And when you're a kid, you don't even need a fishing license, right? In Minnesota, you can just go fishing. So, I mean, that's why it seems simpler. But when you're a kid, you just went to the pond or went to the lake and threw your rod in and you went fishing. But now you're measuring fish and have slot limits and tell what a sauger is versus a walleye. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not just measuring. You have to measure them a particular way on a particular ruler and, and, um, some different lakes have different regs and different times of year and and it, it is it is it is complicated so not not so complicated you shouldn't go obviously but right. just 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 make sure you know what you're doing we just don't want anybody to get in trouble for sure i mean even i'm sure honest mistakes happen right oh yeah however ignorance is not a is not a defense it's not, it's not. i mean if it was i'd use it more <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have it a lot of the times, right? You just don't use it. I know. I have a lot of ignorance, but I don't get to use it very often as a defense. Oh, oh, oh boy. Northwood Dave checked in, Jeff. Yeah, he did. So he had, we had talked in the last show on our ice safety portion about things you could use as a throw device. He mentioned using a retriever dummy, um, one of those. It's a small bumper for use for throw for, for dogs. As a as a throw device, if you have one lay, them laying around, which I thought was was a good, you know, it's something you might have that you're not no longer using for your dog, so it would certainly work. Yeah, I don't think you can use a throw dummy off the end of the dock in the winter. It gets that'd be kind of. Oh, you're saying you could use it in the winter for ice fishing in the summer? You could go back to throwing it to your dog. Yeah, because you're probably not going to throw it to your dog off the end of the dock in the winter. That seems. Well, kinda, you could. Seems kind of mean. I mean, you could. Ouch. I'm just, you know, he'd probably run out on the ice and get it. I mean, I guess, yeah. Just don't do, I was thinking like, you know how you see those videos where they run to the end of the dock and they're like. Oh, the dock dogs? And they jump like 10, Yeah, those feet. things are crazy. Yeah, those don't, are cool. Don't do that. No, not on the ice. No. It'd be hard on their feet. But yeah, on the ice, you could just throw it without the jumping off the end of the dock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most people don't have their docks in in the winter, Jeff. Well, even more why you wouldn't want to do it off the end of the talk, right? It's like we're devolving here. That's what. What else you got? Northwest Dave was like, "Come on, man! What did I you know. do to my talk here?" He said we could use a self-inflating or pull cord life jacket as a lightweight float suit alternative. Yeah, you could. Um, so I have one of those. I have like a a pull cord one that I use for summer fishing. My life jacket. It's a CO2, one of those CO2 self-inflator deals. And those are not very bulky. However, I think the thing with that is you'd always have to make sure you, that have to be on the outside of your coat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would want to test that because the the cold. I know. So those work. My understanding how those work is there's a tube. And when you go in the water, the water goes up the tube and hits the inflator and they self-inflate. Gotcha. Now, a lot of them have like a handle, too. You can pull the handle. Sure. Um, which would probably work better ice fishing than it does in a boat, like at the manual, to manually operate. Because a lot of times when you go in the water out of a boat, you know, if you're in an accident or something, you're not always in the position to pull that cord. Right. If you're not getting knocked out or something. But typically, you don't, if you go through the ice, you're not unconscious. You're just sad. <laughs> you're cold and sad. You're cold. You're probably a like a little bit, shocked, to be A honest. little startled. 
Yeah, which, a little startled. Which so. the first thing you want to do, we talked about last episode, is kind of take a second Relax. to to get your wits about you. Yeah, just repeat, this is fun until you calm down. <laughs> this is fun. You'd be All that right. calm, Jason. You'd go through the ice and be like, this is fun. You know, I have, I think, two very, and I'll be honest about this, I have two very separate reactions sometimes to, to crazy things. Like sometimes I am just as calm as, like, just to the craziest stuff, right? I'll just be like, oh, that's fun. Or I'm going to run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have a middle reaction. I'm either like, I'm out of here, like just fight or flight, and I'm flight. Or I'm just like, huh, well, let's see where this goes. So, so you you're know? not fight or flight, you're calm or flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really am. It's like one, it's either no reaction you know, just kind of taking it in or I'm out of there. <laughs> so, Time to go. You know, so like Jeff, that's good for you to know. Cause like if we're, if we're involved in something, let's say a bear attack or some other sort of thing, you don't know which Jason you're going to get in that moment. So just, you'll find out. <laughs> I don't know. We've been a few, through a few things together. I know. I must've got yeah. the calm. <laughs> you usually get the calm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might not be so calm, so that's good. <laughs> All right. Minnow, so I'm not calm about this one. Yeah, minnow shortage. But I'm not going to run away either, but minnow shortage. That doesn't, sound no, that doesn't sound very good at all. So, Jeff, this next one, there's a minnow shortage apparently up in Minnesota. I don't know if Iowa's going to have one, but I, I know Minnesota, from what you're saying, is going to have one. Yeah, it sounds like part of it is in Minnesota they don't allow import of bait. Ah. So even if there are more minnows around Minnesota, like in Iowa or North Dakota or South Dakota, they're not allowed to bring them in for invasive. But, I mean, I invasive yeah, species. I understand that from an invasive standpoint. So what they they had like kind of a round table and they got all the bait wholesalers in Minnesota together. Okay, sure. And we're trying to come up with some ideas. And this is sponsored by Minnesota Fish, and but Minnesota Fish is a nonprofit mm-hmm. kind of political i mean it's more political like they lobbying group i guess you'd call it for sportsmen and for fishermen so i am a member um and i think they do good things like pushing for you know making sure we have boat access and proving those kinds of things and just a general person someone keeping keeping their eye on the ball kind of exactly yep and they you know they Mm -hmm. they have um ron shara who's kind of a somewhat famous person in minnesota from an outdoors perspective in general they're just looking to make sure that we keep our access to the waters right and Mm -hmm. you know hatcheries and all kinds of things like that and i'm sure there's similar organizations in pretty much every state for sure yep if not you should people should start one yeah i thought it was great when they started it and i mean it's really Mm -hmm. i think i paid to be a member is like very minimal amount of money i don't remember what it was but but anyway so so they had this they sponsored this and brought everybody in that had uh, uh wholesalers that do bait and talked about some ways they can make it better because they're not going to let them import bait. And really, they talked about it being pretty fragile. Like, you know, we're not far from not having live bait often. Hmm. So they're going to work on some ideas on how to make that better. How to increase the supply. It's not just that there's not as many minnows. There's more people fishing. Really? Yeah. They said the demand is much higher than it used to be. So there's not any more bait. That would, at some level, mesh up with the advancements, I think, in ice fishing stuff. Now, maybe that's summer too, but it's gotten much more comfortable. 
that makes a difference. And it's good. It's good to get people out there. And, and hopefully the uh, minnow suppliers will catch up with the demand. Exactly. And there, this kind of relates to a question we'll get later about plastic versus live bait. Yeah. All right. So the next thing we want to talk about, Malax came out with their winter regs. So the Malax harvest of walleyes is down quite a bit where they're not even close to their quota. So they will continue to allow us to keep one fish, 21 to 23 inches, which is a big walleye. Yeah, that's an eater. Right. Specifically walleye is that size. There's other regulations for other fish. But there was an article in there about early ice advice that less is more. What does that mean? I think they mean just don't bring the kitchen sink out there when you have to walk out. They even said, don't bring 10 rods, bring one or three, right? You don't need 10 rods out there. Just go light was their point when early ice. Yeah, if you're hauling all your stuff out by hand. Well, I'm always hauling my stuff out by hand for the most part. So less is more. Less is more. Bring bring less stuff so you're not so bogged down with all your crap. You can't move from place to place, right? You know, so it, it's interesting. I Someone way smarter than me said that. But, um, you know, on early ice when there's no snow, you can actually bring more than you can when there's deep snow and you're walking out. It's true. <laughs> so I actually pay more attention to being light midwinter when i'm slogging through snow than i do on early ice when it's just like ice yeah well get a smitty sled and then it'll you can i know then you don't have to deal with that maybe you still have to pull it you do but less less weight is the theory i don't have a smitty sled i should really have one but you should i know i should so you went you you got out and you got to go to a hard water expo dude yeah it was actually really good so i took a really smart person's advice. And I went Who to the, that? whose know. advice was that? It might've been you, Jason. Yes. Occasionally, occasionally I have to admit that you have some of the best advice I've ever heard. And this was one of those cases. I think that's all for tonight, folks. We're going to end the show right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as long as you're not running one of those, flashers that blows my noise out of my <laughs> my my hummingbird you don't like that advice when i say by markham yeah the markham advice i can skip skip right past that but this was good advice this was not markham okay advice. okay so which 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 part of my cope the copious advice i give to you did you take so i went to the seminars there you go good man and i mean that's I, where it's at that's where it's at at these ice shows it, you know, you can buy, look at all the gadgets, but going to the seminars, man, that that's the spot. Yep, and, and, and I did look at the gadgets, but some after you've gone to a couple of shows, a lot of the gadgets, sometimes there's different gadgets, but a lot of the gadgets are the same, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was, I went to four seminars. Two of them were super good that I want to talk about. Well, hit it. Which one do you want to talk about first? The first is uh, Jason Durham, who okay. he is a fishing guide in the Park Rapids area. Okay. You know how you can just tell this person knows more about fishing than I will ever know. That, that's how I felt when we talked to bro for like the first three minutes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> so th- th- he is like that, right? He is, he knows way more than I could ever understand. I, I, I just don't fish that much, right? He's a guy and mm-hmm. he's out there all the time fishing. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's guided for 30 seasons. Wow. Wow. According to his bio, I found. Yeah, he, he was super smart. I would listen to anything this guy says because it all makes sense. 
you know, well, here's something else about him, which, and you'll, you'll tell us more about what he taught you, but he's also a teacher by trade. Yeah. Yeah. He talked about so that, that too. So that probably, you know, factors into his ability to give a good seminar. So what'd you learn? Yeah, it does. And that makes total sense. He kind of talked about that a little bit, but he is a teacher mm -hmm. and from one, from just the public speaking perspective, like he sure. was really good at explaining things and really good at getting mm -hmm. you to learn. I don't know. It was, it was really good. Yeah. And at elementary level, it looks like he teaches kindergarten. So he's at your level. He's at my level, which is important. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably elementary level for ice fishing, right? Yeah. All right. So totally the first good. thing, what he really talked about, the whole point of what his talking about was, was expectations are important. Anybody can okay. have a good day on the ice, a good day of fishing, if you have the right expectations. Absolutely. And so if you go there and expect to like limit out, catch every fish every day, you're going to be disappointed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you go out and catch a few and are really excited about that, you're going to have a great day and it's the same day. You know, and I, I agree completely. And, and so like, I like to fish in the summer. I fish sometimes with my brother-in-law and then his kids and they don't fish hardly ever. So they go out and they catch a fish. They're just jazzed. Like it could be a 12 inch rock bass and they're just excited to catch fish. And it's so much fun to do. And then you go with somebody that fishes a lot and they didn't catch 12 walleyes that day and it's a crappy day. And he actually did mention kids too. He said, don't go out with kids and expect to like fish all day or, you know, it's expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Clam was a big sponsor there and mm -hmm. Jason Durham was a, he's a clam pro or I don't know if. I don't know if that's the right word, Clam Pro. But he talked a lot about Dave Gens because Dave Gens is very much associated with Clam. And also he called him the fishing philosopher, which totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. One thing he said that Dave Gens always so he's quoting Dave Gens, so I'm quoting him quoting Dave Gens, which is, I Fair guess. Fair enough. Sure. Big moves locate fish, small moves catch fish. Okay. Seems I very, like that. I know. It just seems to like, you can think about that, right? It's not just like a, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's a thinker. I, I would agree with it. I mean, it makes sense. Sometimes you get lucky and do a big moving, get on them, right? But a lot of times, though, you just have to keep micro adjusting. Like you catch one, mm -hmm. like okay, we're getting closer, and you just kind of dial in. And I think the one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about like Dave Gens, he's a very much a pan fisherman, very much. So think about that. It might be different depending on the species of fish you're targeting. Another thing that Jason talked about that made sense to me was. Always and never do not apply to fishing. Fish don't always bite. They will never bite on a bear hook, whatever it is, right? Like his point was like, things work, but there's an always or never. A spoon might work one day, it might never work. It might not work the next day, right? It will not always work. Yep. So this is something that maybe you, Jason, would connect with more than me. But he asked everybody in the crowd, how often do you move? How long do you fish a hole? And what was it? What was the resounding answer? So, Jason, what would your answer be? You know, I, I give it about thirty minutes. Yeah, and, and I'm probably more like that. And it depends on the conditions, right? I, I feel like the conditions dictate how much you can move. Sometimes, I think you know the other thing that, which maybe wrongly dictates how much you move, is previous success in that spot. Yeah. Yep. And I think sometimes that can get you locked into a spot. Where you're like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be here they're gonna be here and sometimes they are they end up being there you know there's that bite window especially with walleyes there's that narrow bite window some days you feel like you're waiting all day just for the fish to bite from four to five 
It's true. And I think sometimes you are, right? I mean... I know, but it drives me nuts. They're always eating somewhere. Well, and that goes to this another fishing philosopher quote that's above this. Dave Gens again. We were talking about him. Fishing is easy. Being in the right spot when the fish are hungry. Because you could be in the right spot. If they're not hungry, it doesn't really matter. And having the right lure. Right. Like, we've experienced that so many times where... One guy has this lure on, and the guy three feet away has this lure on, and one guy is just slamming them. And the other guy's, if that other guy wasn't in the shack, he'd be like, well, they didn't bite today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what keeps me out there forever, is I, I, I never believe, I really don't at my core, I never believe the fish are not biting. I just believe I'm not doing it right. Yeah. So... Yeah. If you believe they're, if, if that's a headset thing, this is to get to fishing philosophy. If you believe that they're just not biting, then you quit. Because there's nothing you can do to make them bite then. It's just, you're like saying, this is fate. This is a thing. You can't, they're not biting. They're not eating. Right. So if you believe that versus you believe, well, I just haven't found the combo. I haven't found the spot yet. Then you're going to keep pushing and keep trying to find them. It's like a fatalistic view versus an optimistic view. How's that for fishing philosophy, my friend? Oh my gosh! So, but that, but that's the fundamental difference between some people when they fish, and hunt, and do all those types of outdoor activities where you're chasing critters around or fish around. The deer just aren't moving today, right? I've heard that fish just aren't biting, and then that's for, shortly followed after. Wow, we're just burning propane, or <laughs> something like that. I, I have I have a mental dilemma on this debate here because. I know you do. So, so, so here's one thing, and, and this came up during the talk, is we've all been to, everybody's been to a fishing tournament, right? Jason, you've been to a fishing tournament. There's, you know, on the lake, there'll be hundreds of people or thousands of people, depending on which fishing tournament it is. And have you ever seen a fishing tournament where nobody caught fish? No. Somebody always catches a fish. Always. Right? I mean, there's a fish that wins. I mean... I don't know how many there are or how many, but somebody well, always wins. We were on this, that float we talked about, was it last week or the week before, whenever we were, and we weren't catching fish, but there was a guy that walked away with his limit. We were like, oh, the fish aren't biting. <laughs> well, they were. We just didn't know what the hell we were doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think, now I would argue in that case, I don't know that without his help, we would ever even come close to coming up with what he was doing. Probably not. But that didn't mean the fish weren't biting. Yeah. Just means we were we were catching them. Yeah. Yeah. I like this guy. The, the pro- <laughs> so the only <laughs> problem with that theory is as a person in the winter, if it's cold, we have to have some sort of gear, right? We have to have a shit. I mean, you can't move 100 times a day. There is a limit to how much you can move. Well, I mean, you're limited by time. That's what motivation, I'm That's what I'm battery saying. power, gas. But but we've Snacks. done this before. We've ground hard before. Oh yeah, like hard. Like you fish. We we're coming back to this question about how often you move, and you said like every thirty minutes. If you move every thirty minutes, if you fish for twelve hours, you you could say okay. In theory, I'm going to fish for twenty four spots, but you haven't fished twenty four spots because it takes you ten minutes at least. Yeah. To yeah. Move, exactly. Right. So yeah. maybe you fished yep. eighteen spots, and that would be like. I can barely walk. I've ground all day long ice fishing, right? But, yeah. I mean, so you have to have, and that goes into, and we've talked about this in other shows too, and we, we should do a show on it again. You know, location. How, how do you pick where you're going? Why? And and that's probably what these guys know way more than me. Yes. 
is they know the why. Okay, they're not here. They're not biting here today in this spot. Let me maybe they're in this transition point because of this reason, because of the bottom transition, because of temperature thermocline, because of bait availability, because of light, you know, how much the light penetrates because they're on the weed edge because you know, so they're not just drilling holes randomly around the lake. They're they're trying some very specific types of transitional structure or different structure to try to find where the fish are at. And when all when all else fails, you troll the flats. <laughs> yes, troll the flats. <laughs> so so I think I would give a spot a minimum of thirty minutes. I'm with you, Jay. I mean, I, I think we've set places longer, but less than thirty minutes. By the time you get set up, you're like, dude, I have to give them thirty minutes, right? And and, and maybe we should be more specific because we're. We're talking about big moves, right? Like I'm not talking about moving a hole ten feet away. I'm talking about yeah. A big I'm talking move. big moves. I might try, you know. So like, if I'm on a point, I'll just give an example. If I'm on a point, I'm going to work some different depths on that point throughout the time I'm there. So, but I might work the 10, 12 feet mark for 15, 20 minutes. If I don't see nothing or nothing's coming in, I might, you know, work my way up that up or down that incline. Um, or close to a brush pile, away from a brush pile, into the weeds, out of the weeds, before I'm moving like halfway across the lake. Right. So I do a lot more little moves than I do big moves. That You can do that with the flip over shacks versus like a hub where you're like, I don't really feel like moving this hub 10 feet. You can't do that with a hub. You cannot move that often <laughs> yeah. with a hub or a wheelhouse. So, so I just, you know, and, I, and I've talked about this before is, is, you know, I'll drill holes. And then I'll drill my next, like where I'm going next in that spot. So I'll drill the holes in the 12. I'll drill some holes in 15 to 20, you know, and then are back in. And then I'll fish these, fish those, fish that, you know, so I'm only drilling. I'm letting it calm down. The answer that Jason gave. And the other Jason. Jason, Jason that Durham, knows stuff. Jason Durham. Jason Durham. The really smart Jason, guy that talks to us. The smart guy, not, not the guy that makes crap up as he goes. <laughs> not the guy in the podcast. Somebody said in the audience... Five minutes at a hole, move 15 paces. That that was kind of his answer. Five minutes, you don't catch a fish. You walk 15 paces, you drill a hole. I might agree with that if you drilled the holes already. But I think you don't, I don't know that the water calms down in 15, in, in five minutes. You can see that. I've watched some of these videos on the, the panoptics of the live scope where they can see they were drilling and they could see the school move away from the drilling. And then they slowly filtered back. And we're going to get into, I feel like we're going to cross. So we're getting into the, my, the next speaker I talked to. A little oh, bit. I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah we're, no, it's close, but we'll get to that one next. Okay. Okay. There's some really good things about that in the next one. So, okay. Jason Durham also said fish have a ceiling that the fish will only go up so high. Like he gave the example of if you've ever fished, and see how far you can get a fish to chase your lure up the hole. He's like, yep. everybody's done it. And I'm like, yeah, we all yep. lost our hand. We've all yep. done it, right? Yep. Eventually, that fish will feel uncomfortable and go, I don't want to go any higher in the water column. Mm-hmm. It's different for every fish, and it's different for the year. There's not like a magic number. But he, he said the number one question he gets is, how far off the bottom do you fish? Okay. And he's like, there's no right answer. He's like where the fish are, right? Like, I mean, like it's hard sure. to know. I mean, they're going to be where they're comfortable and where they're comfortable. Well, that, that's why I think when you're looking, when you're trying to locate fish, you want to jig that hole 
You want to jig throughout that water column before you declare it fish free. And hold that thought to the to, to when we talk to Mike at the next one because that's an interesting one to think about too. The noise okay. and then the fishing the water column. Both of those are like I'm telling you, Jay. These two guys. I mean, I learned so much. It was so interesting. I mean, I don't know. I felt like a super geek just there, <laughs> like, sitting it in the audience, just soaking it all in with yep. my one note on my phone, just typing every little typing note. Typing away I could. like a madman. Because you can't remember all this stuff, right? No. I mean, you have to write it down. I do. I mean, they've learned this over 30 years of fishing. So so he gave one thing that I have heard of, and I've seen Oli do. You've We've done this before, right, Jay, when we're fishing for Northerns? Fun dog on the tip-up. Oh, I'm not looking at the notes. Should I be looking at no, the notes? No, you don't have to. No, you're good. He said his favorite pike bait is a hot dog. Did he give a brand? He did not give a brand. Okay. But Oli... Do you think he knows... Do you think he knows about fun dogs? He might. I mean, they sell them at gas stations. I know. But yeah, fun dog on a on a tip up. He's like you catch lots of northerns. And why do we use fun dogs, Jeff? I don't know why we use fun dogs. You don't know? No, because they're they fun. They sink. They sink. Oh, they're one of the few hot dogs that brands that sink. Most of them float. And I, that I didn't. That's an Olson thing. I only. I I never. I would have not. I mean that. That wasn't me. So we just connected tip-ups with fun dogs to live bait. Yes. I mean, there's all kinds of strings with pins in them going all over this episode, right? Hence the buffet episode. Yeah. A little bit of everything. It is buffet. And you had a buffet this weekend, right? I, I've had so much food this weekend. <laughs> we did a hibachi-type grill last night. Those hibachi ones. Oh, yes. Where they do the food. Carly, uh, my daughter, had never been to one. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of fun. Yes. You probably have a few less dollars to spend on ice fishing equipment, though, after doing that. <laughs> I, I do have less dollars. Yeah, I do. Many less dollars. It, yep. Those are fun places. We've taken our kids there once, too. Yeah. It's kind of a show and dinner at the same time, right? Dinner and a show. Yeah, Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, it's it's good. All right. So the, the last thing we talked about, or I put on here, there's actually way more than this. This is just some of the highlights that I really you stuck need to, with You me. need to get him on our show, Jeff. Yeah, we need to get him on our show. I, I'm going to contact him because I am. If anybody it. knows Jason, they should, you should reach out and see if he'll be on our show. Otherwise we'll try to reach out too. I'm sure I'm doing a very poor job of representing how awesome his knowledge is. So, but this is just kind of like a preview or a summary. A teaser. Teaser. So Jason Durham, the next person that talked, Mike Reitz. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, to be honest, but it's R-A-E-T-Z. They both talked about LiveScope a little bit because everybody talks about LiveScope. They do. And they both kind of said the same thing. It's very useful, but it's it's not necessarily going to make you catch more fish. And Jason said sometimes it can end up having you chase fish that aren't going to be catchable anyways. Really? They didn't say that it wasn't useful. He just... They just said, you know, you still have to get the hook in the fish's mouth, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it doesn't, true. it doesn't do everything is their point. All right. So that was Jason Durham. He has probably way more stuff we can talk about, but lots of good information. The other one that, that I really wanted to cover was Mike Rates. I believe is how you say his name. Rates, Rates, R-A-E-T-Z. Okay. And he had some interesting things. So the first thing he talked about, we kind of previewed was we talked about how often do you move? And so he okay. is a big panfish tournament, panfish fisherman, right? So he, he's a big panfisher person. And so he fishes shallow. 
He said no more than eight feet almost ever. Really? Yeah. And he he said, he talked about ice augers and scaring away the fish because at eight feet, when you're fishing in 30 feet, you know, I mean, it still makes a difference, but when you're fishing in shallow water, the fish are way spookier. Absolutely. I mean, they can see you, they can hear you. And so he talked about noise and moving and drilling holes. He said that he usually just drills a couple at a time. He doesn't drill a lot of holes. But he said that even with electric augers, the sound of that drill going through the ice, no matter how quiet your your unit is on top of the ice, it's like it doesn't Mm -hmm. really even matter. They hear so much noise from your drilling a hole in the ice. And walking, I would imagine. Oh, and walking. But but he said specifically, like, yes, electric ice augers are quieter. They're more convenient. But they don't scare the fish away anymore, more or less. He's like that two-stroke motor banging away at a foot above the ice. They don't hear that nearly as much as the super loud noise as you drill a hole through the ice. Very cool. And so that was one thing we were talking about that. And then what was the other thing we were talking about that we needed to come back to? There was a second The, part. the uh, water column. Oh, the water column. Okay. Get ready to have your mind think very differently about fishing. Are you ready for this, Jay? I'm I'm ready, dude. Hit me with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe built it up too much now. He fishes from the top down. Do you know what I that's mean? That's weird. Yeah, that's weird though. So he said the biggest mistake people can make is what you do is you immediately drop your line down to the bottom until it hits and then you uh-huh. reel it up. He yeah, fishes yeah. the I, other that's way. That's what I do. He fishes the other way. He's just a contrarian. Everybody I've ever fished, I fish to the bottom first. That's how I do it. Yeah, yeah. So now this is panfish. So so that's probably why. It's that panfish thing. It's a whole different way to think about it. To go along with this, he fishes the weeds. He wants weeds. Okay. And so yeah, he fishes above the weeds. Sure. Yeah, so where the fish can see up. So fishing like with a... Sp- like I fish for northerns, like close to the top, mm-hmm. where they, especially like on a bright day, where you can kind of yep. highlight that that spoon towards the top. He likes to fish. He said coontail or milfoil. He's like milfoil gets a bad name, but fish like to hide in the weeds. They oh, feel absolutely, in the weeds. Yeah. So fishing by the weeds, they're you're like fishing in their home almost, right? He described it like you want to be in your house, and that's where you're comfortable. Fish want to be in the weeds because that's where they're comfortable. Especially panfish. And he said not not next to the weeds, like in the weeds. In in the weeds. In the weeds. Not on the break, not just outside of the weeds, in the weeds. So he has a, uh, Mike has a webpage. Yeah, he is Ooh. a very serious fisherman. He, he knows what he's doing. So I have another thing that he told me that it's going to, that's going to totally change the way you think of the world. All right, all right. Hit me with it. Since I was a kid, when you went fishing, you had to go up north. You had to go fish up north. You had to get to the big lake. That's the way it is in Minnesota. I don't know if that's the way it is in Iowa. But he drives to the metro, to the Twin Cities, because he said the fishing is better for panfish in the cities than it is outstate. Well, I believe that. I believe that for panfish because the lakes are so much more fertile because of all, right? Is that the reason? He said that, well, because he likes to fish in the weeds. And he said, everybody's trying to get rid of the weeds. So if you go out state, they kill off the weeds any way they can. And so the fish don't hold to the weeds because there aren't any weeds. And so in bigger lakes out state, they'll be in the basin. 
because there's nowhere for them to hide sure. in the weeds. Well, and if you get up to north, you know, if you get up way up north, it's all rock. There's not right. a ton of weeds up there. Right. But he he contrasted St. Cloud from the Twin Cities, which is not very far from each other. Yeah, that doesn't feel different to me. But it, he said, if you fish in St. Cloud, there are no weeds. If you fish in Twin Cities, there are weeds. Wild. That is wild. And and he said this is more recent. Thirty years ago, it would have been different. I mean, these are just things that like we're like, huh? That really makes me think differently about the way I fish. Yeah. What was cool, though, one of my favorite places to fish, he pulled up on a map and said, here's one of my favorite places to fish. I won't no say kidding. what it is, but literally... Yeah, you'll have to tell me later. I, I'll tell you later, but literally I'm like, I know exactly where that is, and I've fished there many times. And always done well, to be honest. So That's awesome. Yeah, I, I felt That's very, validating. I felt very good, except for everything else he told me was totally different than what I did. So now I know what to go But maybe do. if you did what he told you to do at the place that you both love to fish, you'd have even better luck. And, and he did say, when he talks about these tactics, he's looking for big fish. He said the big fish are in the weeds. He's like, you might find them other places, but the bigger ones okay. are going to be hiding in the weeds. Okay. All right, so there's one more, and this kind of relates to live scope. He likes cameras. It's his favorite way to fish. He said live scope's okay, but when you're fishing in eight feet of water in weeds. Camera. He's like, camera is the ticket. I completely agree. When you know, I started using the camera here last year, you're sitting there, and that bluegill is pulling that lure in and out of its mouth, the rod tip's not moving. Yep. And the only way you know, like, yeah, when you when you have that on camera, you start just watching the camera. You're not even watching your flasher anymore. You're just watching that school, those schools, those five, six bluegills or, you know, crappie will hang around your lure. And you can watch how they react specifically to the camera. And you can watch them get close to mouthing that lure, um, bringing it in and out. And you can't, you can't see all that on the flasher and you, you know, you probably can't see it with that definition on a live scope either. When you're watching it on camera, I mean, you know, the lure and the fish are together on the live scope. You can certainly see that, but you can see the reaction to the, of the fish to the bait, but it's cool. You have HD camera instead of dot matrix from the eighties. <laughs> live scope is really awesome, but the yeah, definition isn't there. Yeah, and not all, you know, some of those lakes are murky, but... But at eight feet, if you're fishing the top three or four feet, you probably can see True. It. Yeah, if you're fishing just above the weeds, yeah, you would be able to. I'm thinking if you wouldn't be able to see down in, but if, if your target area is the top four feet or three feet of the water column, you would be able to see. These guys were super smart, and of course, I asked the question to Mike. I said, Mike, do you use plastic or live bait? And he said, use both. But then Great he listened off some lures that he likes and then i went and spent like 50 dollars on lures. bought all the lures <laughs> i did well you know i mean this he knows what he's talking about and yeah and i'm like those aren't things i have in my tackle box so i i went and got a few of them so i i noted a few of them here in the notes there was the maki poly the what it just looks like a red it looks like a ball with a tail like a circle, it's very simple. So they're made by clam. These are all clam ones, but it just looks like a circle, like a ball in the end with like a tail. If, if this wasn't a family show, I'd describe it as something else. <laughs> but it's, it's, that's that's. What it oh, I've actually have some of these. Yep. So it's just like a circle on the end, and then like just a small thin tail. Yeah. 
And then to further it, I got these dingle drops. I have some of those as well. <laughs> it's like just a, I like the dingle drop. I've had good luck on dingle drops. Yeah, it's a normal jig. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's normal, but it's normal-ish. But then it's got this little drop chain. It's that's got just, a dingleberry hanging off yeah. the bottom. And I don't. <laughs> it must work. I'm gonna try it out. Yep. The next one they talked about was the drop kick, which looks like just any other tungsten jig you've ever seen. But I think they put the hook instead of in the middle of the jig head. It's like at the top of the jig head, so it gets a little different kick to it. If you look at the if, when you jig that, it, it would jig um, hook. It would the fat side of the body would be down. Yeah, yeah. And then the hook would be up in the water column. Yeah. The one they talked about that they said you must have that I got a few of are these silkies, which is just like a it's like a ball with some hair that sticks off the ends of it. But Dave, now Kent, those I have not used. He swears by these. These are supposed to be the hottest thing ever. How do you hook those things, Jeff? I You're be- going to put these up on the page, right? Yes, I will put these up on the page. How do you hook those? I believe you just put the hook through the ball, the little plastic ball. Through the center, and then it just kind of flutters there like a mustache? Kind of like, I suppose, like a hair jig. Like if you ever use a hair, you mm-hmm. know, like a, or any of those buck tails or any, you know, but it's just yep. really fine. But I think it's actually silk. I mean, they're they're five bucks for four of them. I mean, they're not super Holy cheap. Holy crap. But they said they last a long time, and you can kind of, I don't know, they even talked about trimming them and forming them i don't don't know i gotta try them out but they look really can you tell that i was really excited about all this knowledge i got yesterday yeah your brain is just exploding we're gonna need to move that hat size up one more (laughs) yes i got the world's largest hat which you should have gotten the mail now i did yep and you're probably like who would ever wear a hat this big (laughs) oh i know who (laughs) all right so those are really good seminars, and were by far my favorite thing of the show. So thank you for Very the great cool. advice, Jason. And I would recommend, if you're going to any other ice show, make sure and go to the seminars. All right. A few other things I spied, Jason. It's coming. This is new. It is an underwater drone. I, I've had that on my Christmas list for four years. Three years. They said this is new. Well, I've had a similar one. Yes. It was but they're like three thousand gazillion. Yeah, it's. I just put it on there because you know you never know when a relative may win the lottery. <laughs> so you want to have some things ready. So you drive this thing under the water, and I said, "How do you make sure it gets back up the hole?" It's got a tether, so it's like a forty-foot tether. I don't remember how long it was, but so you drive this thing with a camera all over underground and or underground underwater, and you can see the fish and the bottom and the. And they said they drive it up their friends' holes. Like, they'll drive it down the hole, and then it comes up and pops up on the other side. Put a little blade on the front of that, and you could have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I thought it was cool. Wow. I don't see that for them. It's cool. If I had all the money in the world, I would have one in my tackle box or whatever. But All right, so the next thing I took a picture of here was the mini truck. I really want Mini truck with tracks. Mini truck with tracks. So yeah. It's pretty sweet. They said it weighed 2,100 pounds, mm-hmm. and it's got a cab and heat and then a bed in the back. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen these mini trucks. And they're, I think they're from Japan or China. They're, yep. they're just, they import them. I don't know that they're world legal, to be honest. I think they're just for- They are. Actually, a lot of them are, Jeff. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. It looked really cool. Um, this one was $15,000, which seems, I suppose, versus a side-by-side or something. Well, I mean, you can buy them. You can buy the trucks themselves for about 6500 usually used i mean they're all used yep when they come here 
But then, you know, by the time you add tracks and stuff, Cripe, that's half of a side-by-side. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I would do that. More. But you have to have a trailer to tow it around. The same as side-by-side. Yeah. A Snow Bear is probably still superior. It is, but you could buy a whole fleet of these little guys for that. <laughs> you could buy, like, how many mini trucks to make a Snow Bear? Uh, about six. Six. Okay. So we could each have our own Snow Bear, or our own mini truck or a Snow Bear. Yeah, exactly. Well, we saw those guys in red. They put a hole in the floor. You just put a hole in the floor and you fish inside. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, I think on the you know I think the thing on the mini truck is you would you would build a a shack where you sat on the back of the bed. Yeah, and then it flipped down to where you put your holes. Hmm. Kind of like like they make those for the back of Rangers of side by sides. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Make a shack. You yeah. could put a similar outfit on this. Yeah. The next thing I saw there that was interesting was these razor ice augers. Have you heard of razor ice augers? Yes. Why is this different from any other ice auger that's out there? Because there's plenty of them. Mm-hmm. They have this extra kind of lip on it. So they have ra- blades. It's a razor, like a straight edge blade, not a chipper blade. And then they have these little, like, I don't know what you call them, tongs, edges, things. So the idea of the design was when you've used your electric auger, they have a lot of torque, right? And when you get to the bottom of the hole, they like to spin yeah. you versus you spin it. So these yep. are supposed to help it break through. So instead of you getting jarred at the end of the hole and moving you, you get through the hole. Okay. Seems like I've had that problem. I broke a light in my ice shack because you get down to the bottom of the hole and it. those things are powerful enough. I can't stop it from turning and the ice stops it. So it turns me. <laughs> yeah. If it's slick and you don't have good footing, that'll wing your red route well or you know if you're in your wheelhouse and you're in deep ice and you're crouched oh, down because yeah. you're really way down there and it spins you sure i mean it, it yeah sure because i'm telling you those things they spin me i don't spin it and then the final thing i think we've talked about these before but the get bass kong bass king bass king bass king they have those really cool shuttles i need one that's all there. yeah i'm pondering shuttles this year uh, thinking of making my own conglomeration of crap for they're 130 bucks they're probably worth it really would like and it'll be big unfortunately but i really would like to make a thing to hold both my flasher and my camera mm, yeah and i know it'll be big and heavy i get that part yeah but i'm tired of like taking both things out to the to the a hole like when i'm hole hopping sure so I, I'm really thinking about that this year. We'll see what happens. Okay. Build a prototype of something. And then if I get a bigger lithium battery, I'm thinking I can run them both off one battery. So do you think you'd want just two smaller ones? Is It's not better maybe, to two smaller ones? Than one maybe that's one? the way to go. I don't know. Maybe. I kind of want to get a lithium battery. I have the lithium shuttle, which has served me well for a couple of years. But it always gives me low battery on my Helix 7 because I think yeah. they suck so much juice. And I think if I got one of those amped outdoors, little bigger batteries, I could maybe, you know. It, it may not have anything to do with the, um, oh, because you're running a lead acid anyway. No, it's 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 a lithium. So what I found out, we were going to digress here, but <laughs> we're, we're, this is going to be a nice, good episode. We're, it's a buffet episode. It's a buffet man. episode. You go back for seconds or thirds in this episode, right? You just keep going, yeah. There's dessert, and then you're like, ooh, I missed that table over there. It looks like it's got some good stuff, too. I found out that the lithium shuttle that I have 
has a different type of battery. We talked about this with Amped Outdoors. So there's the yeah, it's the voltage. It's got a lower voltage. It does because it's it's not a iron phosphate battery. It is a it's called a lipo. I don't know what it stands for, but it's more like an RC car battery. And I guess they don't fare as well as the iron phosphate batteries. And so I wouldn't mind getting a new one because it, it does chew the battery really good. I mean, it's a seven inch screen and it's got lots of stuff. So yeah, I think what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to buy one of these adapters off eBay for my DeWalt drill battery. And I'm going to try running my flasher off it this year and see what kind of length lifetime I get. Those batteries are more like the batteries in my lithium shuttle. Yeah, but they're, the thing, the difference is that's a 20 volt battery out of the gate. Sure. Whereas your lithium, the one in your shuttle is actually like that 11.7, which is why you get the flashing low voltage. Yeah, because it's right on the edge of really what it should have. Exactly. But I won't have that problem with the DeWalt drill battery. Sure. So I'm just going to try it. I'm just curious how, how long I get out of it because um, I'm already bring, I, I'm already in that ecos, you know, in that ecosystem. So they did have at the ice show, I stopped and looked at them, they had a drill battery to adapter. You put your drill yeah. battery in it and it had a couple yep. different ones that worked with DeWalt. It didn't work with Ryobi, which is what I have. And then at the top, you could plug in like a flasher or some other things. Okay. What were they getting for those, Jeff? Mm, I don't remember, but they weren't cheap. Maybe. So like the, yeah, the one on Amazon or eBay is like 20 bucks. It was more than 20 bucks. Then I'll, I'll, I'll continue forward with my previous plan. <laughs> I'd have to look up who it was. It was like a veteran owned company, which seems like a good support and they had a good product, but I have Ryobi and Ryobi didn't adapt to their system. So that was the ice show. I took up a lot on this buffet about ice show, but it was a good ice show. Yeah, you did. We've been on this, but it, we've covered a variety of topics. So that's all good, man. So we got a couple reports of fishing, ice fishing actually happening, Jay. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely. So we got a report from David S. He found some good ice in a bay in northern Wisconsin, but couldn't find any more in two-inch perch. Even that, that's small even for, for Roger, our <laughs> yeah, buddy Roger. I don't think you can fillet a two-inch perch, can you? <laughs> I think that's more soup. You make soup out of them. Or sardinum. 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 Pickle them, maybe. Sounds like they're going to have walkable ice on Red Lake here, looking at opening up on Friday. So Red Lake, again, for our out-of-Minnesota listeners, is just this big lake in northern Minnesota that is pretty famous for good, good early ice walleye fishing, and it's quite a destination for folks, for fishing only. Yeah, they're, they're saying they have five inches of ice out there. That's crazy. Now, not like they're gonna. Like it's there's five inches today. Crazy. What else we got? Gear. Hmm. Do you have some status on gear, Jason? <sighs> Gosh, do we have time to talk about this? I don't know. I mean, we can skip it and do it in next time if you want. Oh, we, we can talk about it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's I mean, a we, buffet. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, it is a buffet. So, <sighs> all right. So gear. So I was up in Mankato this weekend with my brother-in-law Jeff. We went to uh, his kiddo had a all state or a honor band thing, and we went to listen to him play. And so while we were up there, we had this occasion to go to Shields to poke around. And um, he was kind of poking around for a new ice shack because he has a three-person ice shack. And he is tired of dragging it around on the ice by hand. Like, it, like a heavy like flip-over one? Yeah, it's a three-person flip-over. 
And he drags it by and, hand. Well, he he was doing some of that, yeah. And then one of the guys he fished with had a, like a four wheeler. But I mean, it, it's just brutal to drag that thing if there's any snow whatsoever. So he was kind of looking for an ice shack, and I'm like, well, I know a little bit about ice shacks. I'll <laughs> one, I'll go with one or you. two things. Yeah. I know one or two things, and so I. Uh, wandered there with them and and we went to shields and they had this the a clam fish trap i can never pronounce this can i can i can i can i can, i think it's Kenai. can you i don't know but can you I. can you pronounce can i clam fish trap can pro thermal stealth flip over okay and this thing right now on shields is it was on sale for 350 bucks yesterday on Saturday. And so Shields on Sunday today was going to start their their Black Friday sale. And at any rate, they're $300. So and then there was some in-store discount stuff going on too. So long story short, I ended up buying an ice shack along with him. Had no intention of doing so. <laughs> Zero intention. You couldn't even get it home, right? Because it wouldn't fit in your car? No. Yeah, I was in a Prius with my wife, kid, and a dog. So there's no way an ice shack was going in there. And so it was just kind of random. Um, I didn't do a lot of research on it either, you know, which was which is weird. Um, but here's what I know about it. It sat really well. It's It's got that deep tub. And what I really liked is it had the integrated light into the bar, into the, the top bar about it. You just hook up a battery and you've already got lights built into the thing. It's thermal um, and it doesn't, the poles you don't have to adjust. They flip down, they flip out. So you just flip them and you go. So it's it's really quick, quick one to use. And uh, so I bought a new ice shack, Jeff. I like it. Add to the fleet. I don't, I know, I don't know if I'm getting rid of the old one or if I'm going to keep them both. I haven't decided keep, yet. Keep. Keep. Well, the one's a two-person, but I, it's a small two-person, though, and it's not insulated. But but if you go out with one person, you have a solution. If you go out with two people, you have a solution. That That's true. That is true. I, I would say get rid of the two-person one when you have a better two-person one. But until you have a better two-person one, you should keep it. I think what I've decided, based on some of your advice, is I'm going to keep it at least for a year. There you go. Until I've used this new one. You know, because if I don't like, what if I don't like it? Like, I like the old one. It's just a little heavier. It's like an extra 25, 30 pounds. You know, this thing's 50 pounds with the chair in it. The other one, I was ditching the heavy clam chair I had, you know, because yep. the clam, it's a nice chair, but it's got the slide and but it's metal and it weighs a lot. So I was, I was putting in another chair to make it lighter. And I didn't particularly, I have the clam nook, and I didn't particularly like that solution because in the chair, you got to, the chair's kind of always in the way when you're loading and unloading. Then you got to set the chair up and you got to move all the crap out of the way to put yep. the chair in there. So it's kind of futsy. It was getting futsy yep. to get the weight cut down. So this one, I don't have to do any of that. And it's a Dave Gens version. The fishing philosopher. The fishing philosopher. So yeah, so I bought an ice shack. I, I'm excited. I want one, actually. I'm doing all I can to not order one. Well, I think, you know, and this has been out. This isn't a new new shelter it's been around a while but i think uh what i'll do so we have two of these to put together so we're going to put them together over thanksgiving here and maybe we'll try to video some of that we'll throw it up on the Ooh, youtube i like it do it Jay. yeah an, an un we've never done an unboxing it's kind of an odd thing but we'll do maybe we'll do an unboxing 
see how hard this thing is to put together. Do you think it's all put together inside the box and no. you just got to pull it out and use it? No. They're a pain in no. the butt. Everyone I've ever uh, put together is a pain in the butt. Yeah, it's probably good I'm doing that with my brother-in-law. I don't have patience for this sort of thing. You know, at my house, my wife usually puts all things together. <laughs> she does. She does it. She loves doing it. I hate doing it. You don't shop at I Ikea very patience. often. No. Well, if we do, it, it's with her. I don't go to ikea by myself jeff is that something you do i've been to ikea sure it's fine. like by yourself unsupervised like, no i'm gonna go wife? shop for fishing stuff not to ikea by myself okay i was worried for a moment that i didn't know you as well as i thought i knew you i mean i've found myself in ikea because i had no other options <laughs> with we, my wife they have good swedish meatballs right we've never even eaten ikea now i have taken like laid down on ikea bed they had those little uh like the little setup yeah. mock rooms and sometimes i just lay down and wait for her to come back come find me later <laughs> and people just like people are really accepting it but they just keep walking around and looking at stuff i'm just there snoozing <laughs> he, he's got a beard he looks like he's norwegian <laughs> maybe he's what, what from they, my, the homeland i don't just know part of the just part of the display <laughs> act like a viking i don't know <laughs> so anyway yeah i i got an ice shack a new excited. ice shack I want one too. There you go. I have a one man, but it's not as nice as that person. That was that one. So I well, this this is the black. one. It's black, so it's it's kind of supposed to be nice for like sight fishing and stuff. It looked really so, nice. I've been looking at those for yeah. years, but so yeah, we'll see. We have a few questions, and we're deep into this one here, <laughs> into our podcast. So we better get through those. So let's get a couple questions here. So Michael H asked about Malax ice camping. He wants to drive up from Chicago and do some ice camping. And where would you park? He doesn't have a s- snowmobile. This guy, Mike's tough. He'll, he's like, where can I walk within two miles? And he's hand drilling his holes. A two-mile walk, that's a trek. And then using a hand auger. So my hat, hat's off to Mike. Mike's must, he's got to do CrossFit or something. Yeah. I don't know. I do CrossFit, so maybe we can do it together and work out. I'm not walking two miles, though. I'm, I'm not <laughs> no, doing you're not it. hand drilling your holes either. No, uh-uh. So where, where could he go? So where would be a good spot for him to Well, he's asking for Black, so I would just say go to Red Door. Because for fishing close to shore, uh, you've been here, Jay. First break. Uh, yeah, but he's just saying he wouldn't mind doing Malax. But he is there another lake that we would recommend that offer overnight parking? With access to some good fishing grounds. So when you ice camp, I guess maybe if you're not willing to drive on the ice, but most places deeper in the season, you can just drive on the lake and you just park your car on the lake. Yeah, but he's saying early ice. Hmm. Got to read the whole email. Oh, okay. Well, I would I would still say, to me, what I would do, because this is what I know, I would go to Mille Lacs, catch some ice walleyes. Maybe you can keep one. I mean, it is a few hundred yards walk out from shore. Well, but, but let's look at his thing, what he says here. If I wanted to come to Minnesota this season and get him some early ice walleye and do some ice camping, is there a lake you would recommend that would offer overnight parking with good access to some fishing grounds within a two-mile walk? Why wouldn't he go to Red Lake? He could go to Red Lake, but I would have no advice on whether or not you can do that there. I don't know how it works. I've, we're gonna, well, we Oli go did that. Year. I mean, Oli, Oli they walked out they did or snowmobiled out with their stuff and parked their cars but they camped in a wheelhouse but they also camped on red on the lake but they drove out there didn't they 
But this is what he's saying. He's saying he wants to do some ice camping. Right, but early ice camping. Mm-hmm. So my problem with recommending anywhere but I know is I don't know it. <laughs> like, you might be right. I've just never done it. So, like, if I wanted to be confident in what I was doing, I would go do what I know, which is go to Okay, so you, you know for sure you can do it out of Red Door or Mille Lacs. There might be many other places. I just know that you could show up there with a car and walk out and fish, and you would be fine. But if you, yeah, you could. And I'm, I'm betting you could go to, you could do the same thing on Red. Probably. We, we linked uh, on our Facebook page, you linked a, a resort on Red. Yes. So I would, gi- I would give them guys, if you wanted to go further than Mille Lacs, I would give them guys a call on Red Lake and, and see if, it, and I bet they can hook you up. Otherwise, you can go to the Red, the red Door on Mille Lacs and, and they'll hook you up too. We might go to, I mean, sometime in the near future, maybe I'll end up at Red and I'll understand logistics and then I'll feel more confident in recommending somewhere else. But I I just haven't been there, so it's hard for me to say I would recommend you go there. Yeah, a lot of it depends on how many days you're talking and how, how many, you know, how far are you willing to drive? Last year, I knew somebody that drove up there and had reservations and when they got there, there was nothing, nowhere to go. But this guy's ice camping. You have to get out there somehow. On red, typically, I, I don't think you do a lot of walking. He'll walk two miles, this guy. Yeah, maybe then. That's know. further than I'd walk. Yeah, I wouldn't walk that far. You might be right. But, I just know that it, I I know what the situation <laughs> is in Malax. I don't know what the situation is in red. So that's, I understand. So you. So anyway, those are the two. Those are the two things. That's what we've got. Jeff and I are diverging again. <laughs> I mean, you might do well there, or you might end up not. I don't know. Oh, you're going to do well on early ice on Red Lake? I'm saying I don't know what the situation is for parking and all that stuff. Yeah, so I'd make a phone call. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would always double-check any information we give on this show for accuracy. <laughs> yes, but I know that if you go to the Red Door, I know you would be fine. Right? Really keep one little fish. He doesn't say how many he wants to keep. He just said he wants to go fishing. He wants good fishing. Well, it doesn't say good keeping. It says good fishing. okay let's move on to the next question (laughs) all right so gary o david b also known as my brother (laughs) asked me is there a term such an odd question is there a term for the bottom side of the ice and does it affect the fish so there is a term it's called secondary ice does it affect the fish it is much harder to fish super clear ice because the fish get spooked easier I would agree. Other than that, it doesn't affect them. But like that, when the ice is super clear, especially if you're fishing shallow water, you can spook the fish super easy just with your shadow. With And when it's super mm-hmm. thick and when it has a lot of opaqueness to it, it's harder to do that. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. There's lots of good information out there for how ice forms and stuff that I looked up. When it's cold. When it's cold. Yeah. That's when it forms. So our friend Max from over at Hardwater Freaks checked in with a question of which uh, which of the ice is safe. And so I wrote Max back and said, I suggest crushed over cubes if you're worried about choking hazards. <laughs> yes. You know, it's very hip right now to have whiskey, and they like to use those giant ice cubes. Those big ice cubes. Yeah, big round ones. Because they, they're cooler. Yeah. But really, no safe, no ice is safe, right, Jason? Ah, I don't even go there. <laughs> I think that's what he was getting at. I know. I know he does. Ooh, I, I have another one. What? 
the yellow ice is not safe. Do not drink. Do not eat the yellow ice. <laughs> Don't do it. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Good Lord. How many different... So Jeff Josh L. asked, how many different rods do you bring with? Do you have quick snaps or similar products? Do the fish notice a bigger profile? So I haven't got into using the quick snaps at all. I'm usually tying all my jigs on for ice fishing. And I usually bring two... I usually have four rods, to be honest. So I have two that are set up for a panfish jigging and then two that are set up for a bigger walleye northern. That's what I got. Jeff, what are you doing? I usually, if it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm in the wheelhouse, I have a few more rods. But sure, sure, yeah. If I'm walking out, I usually bring four. More than four seems overkill. I probably don't even use four. Partially, I don't have more than four nice rods. <laughs> Is that part of the problem? I actually want more rods. I, I actually feel like sometimes I need to spend more money on jigs and rods and stuff that touches the fish, and a little less on some of the other gadgetry. Yeah. So I like four because, like, if I've got one panfish rod down, I'm thinking I want to change lures, then I can do that and keep the rod down. And same thing if I'm fishing, if I have one walleye rod down. You know, I've always got, I can keep one live while I'm switching out. Well, in, in, in Minnesota, anyways, two, three would make sense because you can keep two in the water and one you can move around. Mm-hmm. Four is just a little bit of backup, but less than three and then you're not fishing. As exactly. Much as you could. Exactly. So I guess in Wisconsin and, the answer would be four because you could have three lines down. Yeah. But sometimes you use tip ups too. Well, in the Mississippi, I think is different yet, but we won't get into that. Yeah. But so I think three to four. Four is on yep. the upper end. Do you use quick snaps? I have used them. I've had mixed results. I think last year, bro recommended the quick snaps or i saw them somewhere maybe it wasn't bro somebody recommended the quick snaps and i've tried them they're kind of hard to find i liked them i broke a few just because it's cold and you like have to shove it in there and it kind of breaks sometimes but i don't think it affects the fish i mean it's such a small thing maybe if you have like super pressured fish that are super finicky i don't know it could affect the way that the the lure moves jig is hung on there because if you tie it on if you have a horizontal jig you know where the jig head and the comes off the side if you have a quick snap it's not going to provide any kind of friction and it'll just go straight up and down correct so that might be a problem it yeah it will potentially change i use them on spoons i don't use them as i, I haven't used them on jigs so maybe that's yep that makes sense to me that makes sense to me to use them on spoons they're hard to find. They're kind of hard to find. And then they're harder to find back again in my tackle box after I bought them. But they, I do think they serve a purpose. I use them with spoons. I use them less with jigs. Okay. That makes sense. You know, we should really have a different opinion, and I should say 100 rods. <laughs> I bring 100 no. rods out to the lake. <laughs> no. I think four. Four is a really good number. And, you know, because, like, then in my rod bag, I usually have four rods and two tip-ups. You know, I love my rod bag. It's getting kind of old and starting to break down, but it fits. Kind of like you. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like me. I know, exactly. But yeah, I'm going to miss one. I'm going to have to get a new one sometime. The last, I think the last question we should talk about, Jay, this one's a big one. The live baits versus plastics? Yeah. I feel like that's a whole show. So maybe we shouldn't even answer that question. Here's what I'll say. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. 
Yes. I always tend, if I'm fishing with live bait, you know, like a, a waxy, and I'm catching some fish, I always try to switch to a plastic to see if I can still catch some fish. If I'm not catching them with waxies or live bait, then I always try with plastics separately just to see if that'll work. And so far, my experience, and I have very, I'm really new and novice on which plastics work. And some of them are expensive little mm-hmm. buggers, expensive little buggers. I would say um, the only ones I've had significant success with are the little tiny minnow looking ones. Sure. And there's a lot of good ones out there. I just have not figured out how to be successful with those yet. And I have to, do not have the confidence in plastics to only go with plastics. Yeah, you, you wouldn't go on the ice with just plastics at this point. I have, but only because I left my waxies at home. <laughs> and I was sad most yeah, of the time. Okay, all right. <laughs> not on purpose you wouldn't do it then. I had a very negative headset out on the ice, like, this is stupid, I'm never going to catch a fish. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I didn't. And he didn't. But it might have been my headset. This is the Hard Water Fishing Show with Jeff and Jason. Jeff and Jason. Today on the Hard Water Fishing Show, we have Julie Henson, and she has agreed to share a ice fishing legend with us. So, Julie, why, can you share your legend? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I don't know if this will classify as a legend story, but it is to me. I grew up in Minnesota, in northern Minnesota. We had a cabin right outside of Alexandria. So we fished Lake Miltona, Lake Irene, Spring Lake, Lake Vermont. And it's something that we loved to do in the summertime. And then as I got older, we started to ice fish. And it was never something where we would get like a fancy ice house. We would go out, we get the auger, we do it ourselves, we sit out in the cold. And I have three older brothers and they're like seven and 10 and 15 years older than I am. So I was always the little girl that kind of got schlepped along, but I loved to fish and it was super fun. So that's how I grew up with ice fishing. And then when I got into my teen years, my brothers were kind of gone. And every winter, my dad would spend a lot of money, which was a big deal, and rent a nice ice house. And the boys would go out and spend the night and have this great weekend with my dad. But I could never go along because there wasn't room. So then I was like, I got to go. And so my dad finally said yes, once the boys were gone. And so we went up to Lake Irene, super excited to be in this big fish house, or I thought it was a big fish house. And then realized that, you know, you fish throughout the night, you know, you sleep in the bed. Well, I get in there and again, I'm a teenager girl and there's one bed and so he's like, we, we sleep head to toe, right? And then I have a jingle next to me, you know, where the, where the lion is on and the, the bells ringing and everything. I have that by one by my head and my dad has one by his head. And I was kind of complaining and it was cold, but it ended up being like the best trip. And it turned out that I got a walleye that was like, 
ginormous. Wow. Bigger than anything my brothers had ever gotten and that my dad had gotten. So then it was a big deal that I was the one that got this fish. But I was up throughout the entire night. And then after that, I was super excited. And then my dad decided not to do the trip. <laughs> so oh, I no. forgot to do it again. So I went, So when we said ice fishing, that is what I think about. And it was so much fun. And it was totally out of the element for me. And um, I'm excited to do that with my kiddos too, because it's so fun. Julie, thanks for being on the show. And thanks for sharing your legend with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, everybody. And tight lines. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Hard Water Fishing Show with Jeff and Jason. Say goodbye. One of the most unique podcasts on the planet where we talk about tactics, gear, and ice fishing legends. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Till then, signing off. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.